0: This is The Big Question, where we do our best to answer questions from young disciples at Grace Presbyterian Church, and to be at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. I'm Pastor Mark, your host, and in this episode we have questions from Amy, Noah, Susanna, Caleb F., Sam VR, and Amara. First we'll tackle a few serious questions, then we'll look at this episode's Big Question, and we'll wrap things up at the end with a few fun questions. Let's start with our serious questions. Our first question comes from Amy, who asks Why do we have the robe sculpture in the sanctuary? Well, if you enter the sanctuary at Grace, the robe is a work of sculpture in ceramics that hangs on the right hand side of Grace's sanctuary. That's in the alcove where we meet after services to have prayer. Now that work of art is on loan to Grace from the artist, Jeff Smith, who is also one of our deacons. The first time I saw it was when we were helping the Smiths move into their house. I was immediately struck by its beauty. And as Jeff explained the significance of the symbols on the individual tiles, I knew immediately that it would be perfect at church. So I asked and Jeff graciously agreed to let us install it there in the sanctuary. Now, if you go up to the robe the next time you're at Grace and you read the plaque next to the piece, you'll discover the meaning of each part. But I'm going to give you the big picture so you can appreciate it. The robe represents the debt of sin, which Jesus took upon himself on the cross. The little symbols on each of the tiles that go into making the robe Are accounting symbols, and so they represent a tally, so to speak, of the debt. So we could put it this way. Jesus wore our sin like a garment so that we could be clothed in his righteousness. Now every time you see the robe, you can think about the weight of your sin and what it means for Jesus to take that weight off of you and replace it with his obedience. That's the gift of salvation that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ, and that's the message that is proclaimed by the robe in our sanctuary. And now Noah asks, If our confidence is in God, should we feel no confidence in ourselves? Uh, For example, that we can do things. Well, this is one of those questions that's actually more complicated than it sounds. In other words, it's my favorite kind of question. So, yeah, on the one hand, there's nothing wrong with having self-confidence, as long as that confidence is founded on something deeper than self. Now, where does your ability to do things come from? Where do the gifts and talents that allow you to thrive come from? If you start thinking about that, you'll realize that you owe a debt, in fact, lots of them. There are many people in your life that deserve some credit for making you who you are. Parents and teachers, for example, Ultimately, of course, you should feel gratitude towards God for it all. Now, if you keep that in mind, a simple feeling of self-confidence can be good. You're not arrogant and prideful. You know where your abilities came from. But you do have a sense of self-assurance and strength instead of worry and doubt. Now, let's shift gears a little bit because there's another sense in which confidence in self is bad, and that's when it comes to salvation. If I'm trusting in myself and my own righteousness for salvation, then I'm deceiving myself, because on my own strength I cannot merit salvation. My confidence for salvation has to be in God and not in myself, because only by trusting in God can I be saved. So really, it all boils down to what I mean by self-confidence. If the confidence I feel in myself is grounded in gratitude toward God, If I'm trusting him to save me and to bless my actions, then that's good. It's when my confidence is prideful, when I trust only in myself, that I'm misled. So, if your confidence is in God, then you feel confidence in every area of life. But if your confidence is not in God, you have every reason to worry. Does that make sense? And now it's time for the big question, which comes this time for the very first time from two different people, from Susanna and from Caleb F. So let's give them both some applause. first, here's Susanna's question. She asks, is it a sin to be angry? And then Caleb F. asks, is it okay to have certain kinds of anger in certain situations? Now We've talked about anger before on The Big Question, but since I preached about Jesus' words in Matthew 5 recently, I thought it would be a good idea to revisit the subject of anger. The underlying lesson of Matthew 5 is that human desires are corrupt, not just human action. In other words, it's not just what you do, it's what you feel and desire in your heart that is tainted by sin. Jesus says that anger and lust make us liable to judgment, not just the actions of murder or adultery. Now that can be hard for us because we see a big difference between our actions and our feelings. For one thing, we tell ourselves that we cannot control our feelings. You don't exactly choose to feel what you feel, you just feel it. If you can't help feeling angry, how can you be responsible for your anger? In fact, when it comes to responsibility, we usually blame other people for how we feel. Yes, I'm angry, you might say, but you made me angry by what you did, so it's your fault, not mine. But Jesus is teaching us that deep down, the problem of sin is actually a heart problem, not just a problem of action. You can't be righteous, in other words, by simply policing your actions and not doing bad things, because sin has even corrupted your heart, and that means that you're in bondage. You are, in a sense, helpless. You're under the power of sin, and that's why you need the power of God's grace to free you. But having said that, the Bible uses the word anger in a variety of ways, and not all anger is the same. God even is described as being angry, and of course, the anger of God is not sinful. Now, God doesn't have emotions like a human does, but the Bible uses language that describes human anger as an analogy to explain God's displeasure at sin. And that kind of anger, of course, is not sinful. In fact, it's the opposite. It's righteous. And also, Paul writes in Ephesians 4, be angry and do not sin quoting Psalm 4.4. Now, that implies it's possible to distinguish between anger and sin. You can be angry and not sin. Therefore, it must be possible for some anger not to be sinful. And the question, what it all comes down to is, how does that work? So, Jesus gives us examples of what kind of fruit comes from sinful anger. Sinful anger leads to insulting your brother. It leads to calling him a fool. And that description helps. Jesus is telling us that the anger that leads us to be unkind and cruel, to malign other people, to abuse them, that anger is sinful. Now, if we wanted to know what kind of anger is not sinful, we would look at the fruit of anger. The anger that leads to righteousness, that's not sinful. When we are angry at sin and its effects, and that leads us to be kind and forgiving, that's good. We often call that righteous anger or righteous indignation. Another word for that feeling might be zeal, which is the feeling that led Jesus to cleanse the temple by driving out the money changers. As I mentioned in my sermon, I think it's a good idea when you examine your heart to assume that your anger is not the righteous kind. Because it's easy to blame your anger on others and to excuse it as a righteous response to the wrongdoing of other people. If your brother hits you, for example, and you hit him back in anger, it's easy to tell yourself that you did the right thing. But doesn't the Bible actually teach us not to answer evil with evil? To leave justice in God's hands and instead to forgive others as we hope to be forgiven? Practically speaking, because we are sinners, we are going to feel anger, and the question is, what should we do about it? Now, following Jesus' teaching, we should resist the urge to act on that anger. Don't lash out. Don't answer in kind. Instead, always be quick to seek reconciliation. In other words, be a peacemaker. Paul says in Ephesians 4, not to let the sun go down on your anger. So, when you feel it, don't stoke the fire in your heart, don't work yourself up into a rage. Instead, resist that anger like you would any temptation that draws you into greater sin. Calvin writes, don't cherish wrath too long in your mind or allow it sufficient time to become strong. He says that our anger ought to be allowed to subside without mixing itself with the violence of carnal passions. So, taking all of this into account, we can say that yes, it is a sin to be angry, but that yes, there are certain kinds of anger that are not sinful, mainly zeal for righteousness that leads us to be outraged by sin. However, as sinners ourselves, if we let even our righteous anger have too much leeway, we will make it into something unrighteous. So, always strive to be at peace with the people around you, both your neighbors and your enemies. Before we close, let's look at a few fun questions. First, we have this question from Sam VR, who asks, what was your New Year's resolution? Oh, Sam, I hate to share my New Year's resolutions because all too often I don't keep them. But this year, 2022, I've made a resolution to use this new book, Be Thou My Vision, for daily worship every day. I've talked about this book at church, and we've done a whole episode on the commentary about this as well. In fact, on next week's episode of the commentary, Cameron and I catch up a little bit and talk about how well we've both been doing in keeping this resolution. Uh, To cut a long story short, I haven't been entirely successful, but I am working to catch up. And now Amara asks, what is your favorite Christmas tradition? Amara, I love everything about Christmas, but over the years I've found my feelings about various traditions changing. When I was younger, it always seemed like Christmas took forever to get here. But now, as an adult, it sometimes feels like the time is just rushing by too quickly. And because of that while I still love what I loved as a child which was gift giving opening presents and and I do love that just as much as I did then my loves have changed a little bit as I've gotten older now I have a new appreciation for other things especially for our Christmas Eve lessons and carol service there's something about taking that time out and spending it deliberately with our brothers and sisters in Christ worshiping God through song through reading his word that I love more and more as time goes on. When I think about the experiences that I cherish each Christmas, that is one of the ones that I love the most. And I hope that years from now, you'll be able to look back at those Christmas Eves that you spent at Grace and remember them with joy too. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for listening to The Big Question. Remember, if we're going to find the answers, then we have to ask the questions. So never be afraid to ask, and never be satisfied with easy answers. The truth will stand up to scrutiny. Until next time, keep asking the big questions.